finally starting to look like spring out there. I saw somebody tweeted or put on Facebook that only in Michigan can you in the period of a week have a 75 degree day, snow, and an earthquake. So (laughs) it was pretty cool yesterday. Just a few announcements before we open up God's Word together. Some things I want to make sure that we uh, uh, pay attention to. There's lots of information in your bulletin. As always, I want to encourage you to comb through and see what information pertains to you because uh, some of the things we draw attention to up here may not have pertinence in your life, but there may be something else in there that that does. So make sure you take a, a list at the full announcements there. But I want to point out that this Thursday is the National Day of Prayer. And uh, on the same day, we are also kick-starting a prayer meeting here at the church at 7 7 p.m. right here in the auditorium. And so we want to encourage you to to be in prayer that day. If you can join us at noon, we will be at the the park right next to, like where the fire station is in, in Clare. And if you can join us, there's a little gazebo there, and you'll see people starting to gather. If for some reason the weather's nasty, if it's rainy, we'll be across the street in the congregational church praying. But other than that, we'd love to have you come join us at noon out at the park, right next to the, the fire station there. And, uh, and if you can come in the evening at 7 p.m. to join us here in prayer for our church, that, that prayer meeting is going to be a regular, uh, regular meeting on Thursday evenings. I also want to um, invite those of you, this is... Something my wife and I are going to try to do here. On uh, June 6th, Saturday, June 6th, we would like to invite all of you, and I realize this is going to be a broad blanket invitation, but we're going to try to uh, get some specific invitations out in the mail. If, you've, if, this, if, you, if you just started coming to Brown Corners in the last year, uh, we would like to invite you to a, a get-to-know-you potluck. I realize that some people we've had an opportunity to get to know real well. Others, we just have a chance to see you here on Sundays and haven't had a chance to really get to know you uh, really one-on-one in a, in a great way. So we're, we're, we want to get this on your calendar. If you've just started attending Brown Corners in the last year or so, and uh, you have uh, the, the evening free, you can even if you can just come for a portion of it, it's going to be kind of like an open house. Feel free to Stop in and, and run if you've got to. Uh, we would love to invite you to our place on Saturday, June 6th. So we're going to have a little bit more information coming. We'll give you our address. We're going to let you know how to RSVP and all that kind of stuff. But we just want to get the date out there so you can put it on your, your calendars, which I know are already filling up for this summer. And then also we wanted to let everybody know, if you have youth and children, this is especially uh, pertinent to you, that um, tonight will be the last night that we have our Sunday evening activities for our kids. Um, our Route 28, our kids club, will be taking a little hiatus for the summer to give the teachers a little bit of a, a hiatus as well. And uh, we'll be coming back in the fall. But we, we'll, we'll still have our focus on Sunday morning. All the kids' classes will still be running Sunday morning. Our youth activities uh, and youth classes will still be running Sunday morning. Uh, my Sunday night class will also be taking a break. Tonight will be our last night. We'll be meeting uh, for the summer. I know that several other of the classes, though, the adult classes will continue on. Uh, I think there's a men's, one or two men's classes. There'll be a ladies' class. So make sure uh, if you're a part of those groups that you, you find out. Uh, but several of those, those groups, the, the men's and women's groups, will still be meeting here throughout the summer. So make sure if, if you are a part of them, you check out and, and find out what their schedule is going to be throughout the summer. Um, 
Also, I want to point out, uh, just again, by way of reminder, we're going to have a, a baby dedication on Mother's Day. We've been talking about it. We've got a lot of kids lined up. We've got 12 or 13 kids that we're going to be dedicating to the Lord next week, and it's going to be pretty exciting. If you are here this morning um, and, and you're a parent of one of those children, please meet me right out here at 945 after the service, right out here by the prayer room. We just want to have a brief meeting to go over a couple of things, and uh, even if only one parent could make it, I just have a couple of things I want to run through with you. And then lastly, uh, before we study God's word together, I, I want to make mention, some of you um, have heard about this, some of you um, know who Carrie Miller is. She attends uh, Second Service, and, um, and uh, maybe you've had a chance to meet her, maybe you haven't, but um, I want you to be in prayer for her family. Her, I believe, 19-year-old son, Emmanuel, passed away on Friday, and uh, it's quite a shock to the family, as you can imagine, and, and they're having a really, really difficult time. And I, the funeral will be here at the church on Tuesday uh, at noon. And I just want to please encourage you to just be in prayer for that family right now. They're just having a, 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 a real difficult time with the sudden homegoing of their, their son, Emmanuel. Um, I also want to put this out there. If you're interested in helping them because of the suddenness of this, they were not ready with funeral expenses. And if you know them or you want to help out at all with funeral expenses for Emmanuel, um, there's a website that some of you are familiar with. It's called GoFundMe. And if you just Google GoFundMe, the, the website will come up, and there's a search bar in there. And if you just type in Harrison, Michigan, he'll be one of the first ones that come, comes up. His name, his name was Emmanuel Butts. And you have an opportunity, if you want to help out with the family and, and, and the, the funeral expenses, um, go to uh, GoFundMe.com and, and see how you can help with them. Let's just take a minute and pray for the family and just pray for our services today. God, as we already have celebrated the, the Lord's table. We're mindful that, that the only reason that we gather here, the only reason that we, we have hope this morning is because Jesus Christ shed his blood for us and because he conquered death through the resurrection. And that's the hope that Emmanuel has today. That's the hope that the Millers have today as, as they grieve the loss of their son and brother and friend, and nephew and grandson, I pray, God, that your love and your grace would surround them right now and that they would know peace that passes all understanding, that you would guard their hearts and that you would comfort them. It sounds as though he, he trusted in you. And, and, and I pray, God, that, that you would comfort them with the knowledge that all those who have faith in Christ will reign with you, will, will be in heaven. I ask, God, that, that that peace and that comfort that comes from knowing that would would guard their hearts today. As we prepare to study James 3, I ask that you would speak to our own hearts. I pray that we would look and truly see if we're living by your wisdom or by our own wisdom, and that the, the fruit of that lifestyle would be evident in each of our lives. Teach us from your word today, and it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Well, if you're not already there, please join us in James chapter 3. James chapter 3, and we'll be looking at verses 13 through 18 today. James chapter 3, 13 through 18. We'll be taking a break the next couple of weeks from the book of James next week. Uh, being Mother's Day, we're going to center on a, a particular passage of the Bible that tells us a little bit about the greatness of mothers and the, the way that God has blessed us by giving us moms. The following week, we're going to 
uh, talk a little bit the, about the mission statement of Brown Corners Church, a little bit about our church's vision and um, the, the things that God has for us and the underlying core values that we are going to um, want to exhibit as a church. And then after that, we're going to jump right back into James and hopefully, hopefully finish the book sometime in, in June. I've been blessed by this study of James. And as, as we see each week, James is so, so, so clear that his desire, which comes from God's will, is that our faith is manifested by our works and that, that our beliefs look like something in our life. We talked about a couple of weeks ago out of James 2. He says, if you're a true believer, your life is going to produce faith, or your faith is going to produce works. Last week, we talked about uh, that if you claim to be a godly person, yet you don't have control of your tongue, you're, you're, you're deceived. That someone who is a believer, a follower of Christ, needs to be able to bridle their tongue. It needs to be mindful of the damage that can be done by, done by a tongue that's out of control. And this week now, he's going to talk about those who claim to have wisdom. And he says, okay, if you claim to be wise, then that needs to look like something in, in your life. There needs to be fruit of wisdom. And so today... As we talk about faith at work, we're going to talk about two kinds of wisdom from James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Follow along as we read these verses, again beginning in verse 13. James asks, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and, and unspiritual and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The first, the first thing that James takes a shot at, and if you're following along in your notes, we just have kind of a, a bare outline and there will be lots of room for you to jot in your own thoughts as we're studying. We want to first identify the false wisdom. We want to first identify false wisdom because James says it's going to be recognizable. You'll be able to see it. He says in verse 15, when I answer the question, where does it come from? He says, this is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly and unspiritual and demonic. He doesn't pull punches as always. He's, he's really clear about this kind of wisdom. He says it's earthly. That word earthly is not always a negative word in the New Testament, but here it is. It's contrasted with that which is from heaven. He's not talking about common sense. There's a type of earthly wisdom that is good. I don't know how many times my dad asked me that question. Boy, don't you have any common sense? <laughs> That's not what James is talking about. Common sense is a good thing. We kind of have an idea of what that is. It's a basic understanding of how to do life, right? Stuff that everybody should know. Common sense. But that's not what James is talking about. He's talking about a, an unspiritual wisdom. 
that which pertains to the natural world and whatever belongs to it, in contrast to the realm of God, the way of God's operating. In fact, then he calls it demonic. This wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Just in case there was any doubt in your mind about it being a bad thing, he pulls out the demon reference, and he wants us to know just how opposed to God this natural way of thinking is. Admittedly, sometimes it's not always easy to tell the difference between man's wisdom and God's wisdom. There was an instance where Jesus was teaching his disciples. They, they just had a, just a few of them gathered together. And Jesus was explaining what was going to happen to him, that he had to die and go to the cross. He's going to be arrested and beaten and, and taken away. He said, these things have to happen. And good old Peter stood up and he said, no way. I am not going to stand for that. I'll fight for you, Jesus. And do you remember what Jesus said to him? Get thee behind me, Satan. Now, to everybody looking around, Peter was doing the right thing. He was standing by his friend. He wanted to intervene. He wanted to be by his side. Those seem like great character qualities. But that was the wisdom of man. The wisdom of God says that the Son of Man had to suffer. He had to go to the cross. He had to die so that our sins could be paid for. Peter didn't understand the big picture. He was operating according to the wisdom of man. Sometimes it's not always easy to see the difference between the two. But eventually the fruits play themselves out and those help us to see the discernment. What does this false wisdom look like? What does this false wisdom look like? James gives a brief summary. Verse 14, he says, If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. And then down in verse 16 says, But where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So he tells that there are really two qualities that will eventually surface if you're operating according to man's wisdom. He says, first of all, there'll be jealousy. He says, jealousy and even bitter jealousy. It's this intense negative feeling over another's achievements of success. You look at them and you say, that's not fair. I should have that. Maybe this is a subconscious competitive thing. But you see something there and, and, it's, and you deem that there's an injustice because they have it and you don't. And so this jealousy arises that's one of those sins that we tend to downplay as important. We put other big ones up there, but, eh, you know, it's no big deal. There's a little jealousy on the side. It's not an issue. Romans 13, 13 lists it right next to sexual immorality and drunkenness. Jealousy is a reflection of immaturity for the believer, according to 1 Corinthians 3, 3. And when that jealousy becomes bitter jealousy, you know that that jealousy has taken root and it's begun to control your life. Jealousy thrives in all walks of our life. It could be with our possessions, looking at something someone has, and, and you see it and you covet it. And there's other sins tied with envy, envy and covetousness. Maybe it's a job. Think, I work hard. I've, I've gone to school. Why, why are they getting paid so much more? Why did they get a promotion? Maybe it's relationships. You wish so badly that someone would be your friend or that God would provide a spouse for you. And you look at other people who have those friends or have a spouse and, and you begin to get jealous towards them. Not content with your life, but wishing you were in their shoes. 
Maybe it's a position of power. Maybe it's talents and abilities. I confessed to Scott when I saw him playing the piano last week. I didn't know the guy could play the piano. I mean, as if he's not a gifted a guitarist enough. The guy can step behind the piano and play the piano too. I'm a little bit jealous. I can't, I can't hit a note with buckshot. I, 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 can't, I can't play an instrument. I remember when, I may have said this before, but my mom tried to teach me the piano. She plays the piano. She does a good job with the piano. She tried. She tried. I, I, I just didn't have a lot of drive in me. It just was not that interesting to, to get behind the keys. I wish, I wish I knew how to now. I remember saying to her one day as we're trying to p- practice piano, I said, Mom, I think I'd rather play the guitar. I think the guitar would be kind of cool to learn. I'd, I, can we transition the guitar? And my mother, forget my mom, said, well, usually people who play the guitar can sing too. <laughs> there went that idea. Maybe you look at someone else's gifts and abilities and you think, man, it's not fair. I can only do this over here and they can play sports. They're, they're cool. They, they've, they've got all these toys. Man, jealousy. The ancient Greeks told a story of a swift athlete who came in second in a very big race. He stood at the finish line, huffing and puffing as the crowd cheered, but not for him. They cheered for the winner. The second place finisher had to stand there as they brought the victor's crown and the other prizes to the first place winner. He had to stand with the other also uh, competitors as congratulatory speeches were made in the victor's honor. He had to walk through the town to reach home, hearing nothing but the name of the winner on the lips of everyone he saw. The victor had a great statue erected in his honor right to the center of town. The second place finisher had to see it every day of his life. And he came to think of himself as a loser. The envy and the jealousy began to take charge of his soul until he could accomplish almost nothing from day to day. Why hadn't he been the winner? Why hadn't he been able to find within himself those two or three extra strides that separated the champion from the chump? Every night as sleep eluded him, he crept out in the darkness and made his way to the victor statue. Out of jealousy, he chiseled away at the stone from the foundation. Each night, the great marble figure grew weaker and weaker as he slowly destroyed the statue. One night, he got more than he bargained for. He chiseled away one more bit of stone, and the massive athletic figure cracked loudly and slid forward. The great marble champion crashed down on the little man with a chisel, and death came instantly. The athlete had been crushed by the very image of the man he despised. That story captures the idea of what happens when jealousy takes root in our life. If we don't don't deal with it, confess it, and run from it, treat it as what it is, as sin, it can grip our life. At the root of sins like jealousy and envy and covetousness is a spirit of, of ungratefulness, a spirit of discontentment. It's really looking at God and saying, I'm not thankful for what you've given me. You have not been enough to me. You have not been good to me. These other people, you've cared for them. But you haven't cared for me. At the root of jealousy is a spirit of ungratitude, a spirit of distrust in the goodness of God. 
we need to be careful of that. Not only is, does jealousy come from man's wisdom, but selfish ambition, he says. There's jealousy and there's selfish ambition. This is someone who's pursuing their own goals, playing their own game, setting up their own little fiefdom. They're pursuing what, what will, will get them what they want. He says that when, when you do that, there's disorder in every vile practice. These sins of jealousy and selfish ambition, they lead to other sins as well. And this all comes from man's wisdom. When we are operating on the way that we think best, when we're not consulting God, when we're not calling out for His wisdom, this is going to be our default mode. When we start doing things in the way that we think they need to be done, all of a sudden these sins will creep in. Jealousy and selfish ambition. He says every time that's going to be a part of man-centered wisdom. But good news is that that's not the only option we have because there is a God-centered wisdom. And we need to identify false wisdom as well. Identify, I mean, identify true wisdom as well. We, we see false wisdom, and now we need to identify true wisdom. It's God's wisdom. It tells us in verse 17 that that wisdom comes from above. That wisdom comes from above. We must remember that all the way through this, I cannot generate this kind of thinking on my own. We've already seen where that gets us. This is a good time to remind, be reminded that anything good I have or do is by the gift of God's grace. And so any, any wisdom that I have within me that is, that is good, it's because God has given it to me. And if that wisdom is being manifested in my life as just as false wisdom looks like something, so does God's wisdom appear and make itself evident in our life. Verse 17 goes on to say that the wisdom that's from above is first pure, then it's peaceable and it's gentle, it's open to reason, it's full of mercy and good fruits, it's impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I want to just go through these briefly. He says, the wisdom that's from above is pure. It's pure. It doesn't try to blend God's values with the world's values. It goes right to God's word. It, it derives from the truth that God has revealed to us. Some of you may have had foods or, or drink that's watered down, mixed with something else, diluted. My wife, when we got married... Uh, discovered that I had never had guacamole. Discovered, in much to her disgust, that I had never indulged in the greatness of avocados. This wasn't part of our family mealtime. And she said, you have to have guacamole. You can't eat chips without guacamole. And I discovered that guacamole is really good. I, I've come to really enjoy guacamole. In fact, if we go to a Mexican restaurant, we'll try to order a side of it. We're always kind of fighting over who gets to scrape the bottom of it. And, but I discovered that there's, there's good guacamole, there's the real stuff, and then there's, there's the fake stuff. <laughs> and I was told all about this conspiracy by her father when we met, that some restaurants will try to mix sour cream with guacamole. Mm-mm. 
I was informed by my father-in-law that when you go to a Mexican restaurant, you need to make sure that you order real guacamole because he said they'll give you the, the cheap stuff if you don't. They'll, they'll, stir in guacam- they'll stir in sour cream so it looks like this, this white greenish paste. That's not right. I learned this early on, and it has served me well over the years. <laughs> you don't mix sour cream with guacamole. God's telling us the same thing about wisdom, that we don't mix man's wisdom with God's wisdom, that we don't take the parts that we want from God, and then we we take our own wisdom and then blend the two. He says the wisdom that's from God is pure. It's the real thing. We go to God's word and we say, God, what do I need to do? Help me understand how to apply this to my life. It's pure. It's right from God's word. It's not alloyed with my own ideas. He says the wisdom that's from God is also peaceable. It's peaceable. It's not constantly stirring up strife and contention. He's not saying peace at all costs. The, the Bible, all the way, especially throughout the New Testament, we're reminded that we need to stand for truth. We need to stand on God's word. And when, when there are assaults on, on, the, on the, the accuracy and the veracity of God's word, just like we face in our culture, almost on a daily basis with the redefinition of marriage and what it means to be a man and a woman, we're just constantly hearing things from the world that if you don't accept these viewpoints, that you're a bigot and that you're closed-minded, And we need to, in those moments, come back to God's Word and say, what does God's Word say about this? We need to be able to stand on on the truth of God's Word. In those times, it's going to be uh, disagreeing, and there's going to be contention from time to time. So James is not saying that, uh, he's not talking about peace at all costs. But what he's saying is that we need to make all effort. The wisdom of God will make all effort to be at peace with people. Ephesians 4.3 tells us that. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Romans 14.19 says, Make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And Romans 12.18 says, If it's possible, as far as depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I read a prayer from St. Francis this week that captured that idea well. And he says, Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there is hate, may I bring love. Where offense, may I bring pardon. May I bring unison in place of discord. The wisdom of God is peaceable. He also says that the wisdom of God is gentle. It's gentle. He already told us in, in verse 13 that we need to approach the situation in a meekness of wisdom. And now he says gentleness. One writer says that this Christian meekness or humility comes from understanding our position as sinful creatures in relationship to the glorious and majestic God. It recognizes how unable we are in and of ourselves to achieve spiritual fulfillment or chart our own course in the world. And this humility before God should then translate into humility toward others. He also says that this, hum- this wisdom is open to reason. Some of your translations word this differently. This means that wisdom listens. It doesn't have all the answers. When, when I'm pursuing God's way, when I'm pursuing God's avenue of things, it means that I'm not shutting out the counsel of others, but I'm open to hearing other godly people share the truth of God's word. It's reasonable. Some of you may remember the story in 1 Samuel of David and Abigail. David was on the run from Saul out in the wilderness. 
waiting for God to give him the sign and the right time for him to ascend to the throne. It was a, it was a period of David's life. It was really kind of a, literally and, and, and figuratively, a, a desert period of David's life. And there's a situation where he had, he and his men had helped and take, taken care of a, another man's uh, sheep and his shepherds, Nabal. Uh, David was, and his men were nothing but good to Nabal. They treated his people well. And there was a day when David and his men went to Nabal and asked, or actually it was David sent his men, they went to Nabal and asked for some provisions. They asked for a little help. And Nabal just blew them off and was, was totally rude and dismissive. After all the nice things David had done for him, that was not reciprocated. When the men came back and told David, he was angry. He was ticked, and so he got ready for battle. Put on his sword, got his men dressed for battle. They were ready to go. One of the servants of Nabal went to Nabal's wife, Abigail, and said, listen, I just want you to know what your husband did. He totally treated these people rudely, and I think we're going to get a whooping for it. And so Abigail, in her wisdom, went out and found David and spoke to him with reason and wisdom and said, my husband's a foolish man, and he's prone to do these things, but please, please don't bring bloodshed today. And as she talked to him, David's spirit calmed down, and he listened. And he said in 1 Samuel 25, 32 and 23, he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you this day to meet me. Blessed be your discretion, and blessed be you who have kept me from blood guilt and from working salvation with my own hand. David was open to reason, and he listened to Abigail, and he recognized words of wisdom when he heard them. And he said, man, you have saved me from getting blood, innocent blood on my hands. That was open to reason. Said that, it says that wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. I wonder if when Paul wrote Galatians chapter 5 later on and talked about the fruit of the Spirit, if he was thinking about James' words here who were written before Galatians, that the fruit of the Spirit should be evident as we're looking to God for his wisdom. And then lastly, he tells us that it's impartial. And he tells us it's sincere. That it's, uh, the NASB translates impartial as unwavering. It could, either meaning could apply. There's a consistency and there's a steadiness to trusting God for his wisdom. It's not randomly hopping all over the place. We're, we're steady. We're staying our course. We're not being tossed to and fro. So probably all of us sitting here, even if you're not a Christian, you, you probably look at that and you look at the fruits of God's wisdom. You say, I, I want to live that way. I, I want those things to be evident in my life. I want us to just think about a couple of thoughts real quickly about getting God's wisdom. First of all, we were already told in chapter 1, but we need to be reminded to ask for it. Ask God for his wisdom. Go to him. Chapter 1 said, go to him without doubting. Believe that he'll give it to you. Trust him for it. Secondly, read God's wisdom in his word. Don't expect him to zap it with you without any kind zap you with it without any kind of point of reference, anything in which to anchor yourself. God's wisdom can be first and foremost found in his word. And then as you ask him for wisdom, he helps you apply God's word to real life situations. We cannot produce these characteristics apart from dependence upon God and his word. And then thirdly, take an honest look at your life. 
ask, Lord, God, am I depending and living on my wisdom? Are the fruits of walking in your wisdom evident in my life? I came across a few questions you can ask yourself. Do, do I struggle with jealousy of others' successes? Is my life motivated by personal pursuits at the cost of peace? How have these inward feelings and outward actions affected those around me? Do disorder and and pettiness mark my life? Do I pursue the things of the world rather than the things of God? If you're pursuing God's wisdom, if his wisdom is producing fruit in your life, you can ask these things. Is my life characterized by gentleness and humility? Do people know me as a person of mercy, of authenticity, and of peace? Do I act the same way at home as I do at work or at church or in public? Do I build others up? Do I rejoice in their successes? Do I place their needs and interests ahead of my own? Do I leave harmony and joy in my wake? Do yourself a favor and answer those questions honestly. Maybe you need to get an outside opinion. But if you've discovered that you're an unwise person, if you've discovered that you're operating according to your own wisdom, do something about it. Ask God for His wisdom and then determine which character problems you need to address specifically by God's help. Do you need to mend a particular relationship? Well, do it. Do you need to forsake a certain selfish pursuit? Then stop it. Do you need to start a neglected spiritual exercise like prayer or worship or scriptural reading? Take today to get started. It's never too late to start doing what's right and pursuing the wisdom that's from above. Let's pray. God, we so desperately need your wisdom because all of us at one time or another have experienced the mess that comes from trying to figure things out on our own. God, we're so thankful that you answer prayer. We're so thankful that you will give wisdom to those who ask for it. I pray that the fruit of that wisdom would be evident in all of our lives. And if we take an honest look and and the the fruit of man's wisdom is there, I pray, God, that we would deal with that in repentance and and trust in you as, as we seek to move forward and live a life that's driven by wisdom from above. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.